Good. Okay. Lovely. Um, thank you for coming along this morning, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, do you want to just sort of start, first of all, tell us a little bit about Snap Analytics um, and a little bit about your background and how you came to form the business um, and uh, a little bit of your journey? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so we, uh, we actually uh, started talking about the company in the pub uh, several years ago um, and I think we identified an opportunity to uh, help organisations get more value from data. I mean, having worked for big corporates uh, over the years, we've, we've seen many, many challenges and, yeah. and I think uh, some of the new technologies, uh, new methodologies and ways of thinking about data have really uh, changed the game and enabled uh, organizations to get more value from data uh, and also it's really democratized data so uh, as well as the, the big organizations with their huge expensive you know monolithic ERP systems I think smaller organizations can now start to uh, leverage some of the modern technologies and, and, and really start to get value and, and use data more effectively so I think uh, there's, there's been some uh, real developments that have really leveled the playing field yeah. Yeah. Over, over the last few years. Yeah, I think that's the key, right? So we've historically worked on large enterprise-wide programs and kind of working with on-premise solutions and we've seen kind of the huge amounts of problems and kind of seen the very common BI challenges. Um, but actually, lots of the kind of new technologies which we're working with at the moment yeah. They actually overcome lots of those challenges that we've seen historically. So that's kind of, I suppose, where we've seen an opportunity, which is you know, actually there are these new solutions which can you know, give uh, companies a way to be a lot more agile with their analytics solutions. And there's also a lot of people who kind of stuck in that old mindset of not willing to try something new and kind of move over to the new solutions. So that's kind of, I suppose, where we see Snap Analytics coming in, you know, making a difference. Absolutely. And, and, and I think one of the other big opportunities is really to start looking uh, at building data teams who, who are good at building relationships yeah. and, and being a bridge between technology and the business. I think historically uh, projects and many projects have failed because the, the, the business and the technology guys haven't, haven't been able to communicate effectively. So being able to communicate with clarity and, and, and simplify some of those challenges really really important I think we often forget the people aspects in this yeah. uh, and uh, so this is something that Caroline Carruthers and Peter Jackson talk about in the Chief Data Officer playbook that a massive part of, of you know, any data role is really about building relationships yeah. Uh, yeah. with the business and understanding the business. I think that's just actually a really interesting topic because I guess historically lots of people have been kind of afraid of data certainly in certain functions like kind of I guess more marketing and sales kind of stuff yeah um, but now everyone is using data so much more everyone has iPhones everyone's you know tracking data all of the time actually I think it's going to get a lot easier for projects to work because people are going to start to get more data driven I suppose that's really you know helping to join those teams together is really what hopefully will make analytics projects more Absolutely. successful it, it feels like to me, <coughs> having you know worked in the recruitment industry in tech for, for such a long time, it feels like when I first started in recruitment, you know, IT was still this um, you know team of people that sat in a you know in a basement or they're in a porter cabin somewhere, 
and they kind of were just, oh yeah, well they're the IT guys, just leave them to it. Um, and actually, over the last 20 years, it's come back to productivity of a business, business improvement, business change. Yeah. IT and tech has massively um, changed that and had it, and all of a sudden they're like, well actually, we, we provide a heck of a lot of value here. And I think that IT has grown up massively in 20 years and come on so far. And it feels like data <coughs> is a little bit like, not quite that extreme, yeah. but it's now like, oh, we can do that with data. Yeah, because tech has come on so much now, as you said, it's not just the big companies. It's not just, oh, we've got to have an Oracle database to do anything meaningful with data, or we have to have a really, really you know, on-premise yeah. big SQL server database. So actually, do you know what, actually we can, we can do a lot now and it's not going to cost us that much actually because we can do it on demand and um, it's just really easy to get hold of the data whereas exactly. you know years ago it was really really hard yeah. so yeah I get that feeling absolutely right. yeah and there's this big debate going on in, in organizations at the moment as to who owns data because yeah. historically there's almost been the assumption that IT well they're the guys that own the data and I think now that you know, finance teams and HR teams are saying, hang on a minute, there's a huge amount of value in this data and it's, it's a real corporate asset. They're starting to take more ownership. And so, so what we're seeing is, is more, um, you know, more people being embedded with those technical skills in, in the business rather than in, the, yeah. in IT teams. And that's probably, I guess, only going to increase as kind of managed services, so like cloud providers and stuff take ownership of actually managing servers and the actual kind of solution aspect, that's probably going to just play into the hands of that even more with finance teams owning the data and actually the IT side being managed by cloud providers with probably a smaller IT interference. And, and I think that, that follows on from the point around democratization, I guess. Yeah. So, so not only does the cloud uh, and, and some of the self-service BI tools um, you know, democratize and enable smaller businesses to do more. They actually enable business functions to to take more ownership yeah. and to be able to to do more for themselves. Um, yeah. uh, there'll always be a place for IT and, and you know um, you know data governance and security and all of these things still remain really really important. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously disaster recovery and all those kind of things that maybe the guys that sit in the business may not always think about. So, but but I but I do think that the business is starting to, to get more autonomy, yeah. and, uh, and and that's a really powerful development for, for companies. Absolutely, and and you know what we've talked about there is is modern data technology. Uh, we, we're talking about modern data platform. It's better. It's faster. It's cheaper. Um, so for you then, when it when you're looking at um, all these different um, cloud vendors, we were both at. Big Data London a few yeah. weeks ago, and it's just huge. There's so many different vendors, so many different platforms, so many different tools, yeah. and managed service providers. What, where does you know if you're a small business, um, you know maybe you employ I say small business. Let's say you employ between 100 and 500 staff. Yeah. Where do you start? What 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 what, what do you do? So so that, that that's that's a really good question. Um, so. But for me, I think um, you start with how can we make our company more efficient? Um, so, you know, we're Snap Analytics, right? Uh, so, so our focus is on analytics, but actually, um, if you look at 
the other potential that exists in data. There's tools now like Microsoft Flow where mm. you can automate your processes, and this is something we're doing internally. How can we, you know, how can we automate um, the, yeah. our, our processes? You know, things yeah. like the expenses. Um, you know, you now take a photo of your receipt, and it automatically goes into your accounting system. Previously, that whole process was a real headache, and we've yeah. both been victims yeah, of that. Yeah, sure, yeah. you have yeah. as well, Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, so how how can you simplify and, and automate those those processes? How can you avoid those scenarios where you've got someone who's spending most of their time copying and pasting data between spreadsheets? Yeah. Because I think we've probably all seen seen a lot of that in our time yeah. as well. Um, so I think the, the sort of simple automation is, is a really good place to start. Um, and, and obviously, um, some of the self-service BI tools now are really accessible. You've got tools like Google Data Studio, Power BI, which are really affordable for, for a smaller or mid-sized company. Uh, and actually, you can do some really powerful things with those tools. So. Uh, I, I would start by looking at those kind of tools, which yeah. aren't going to cost the earth, not yeah. necessarily um, tools that that would be um, suitable always for, for for big enterprises, but actually for small businesses and medium-sized enterprises, they can deliver huge value for for, for really reasonable yeah. cost. So, so simple automation, yeah, keep, keeping it simple. Uh, so I think there's also a thing like so it's very easy just to focus on the technology side and certainly Big Data London does that kind of thing where there's so many different vendors that are saying look our product's really cool you should come and just use our product and all this stuff but actually what you should really be looking for is okay what outcomes do we need to get out of this so as Dave says you know, a small business probably the start is the operational side you try and get all your processes set up you try to make things efficient so you don't spend your time actually having to waste time on that you can focus on building your business but then there's also the kind of strategic side say, so, okay, what data do we need to actually help us drive our business, help us win more business? And then that's the kind of side where you start looking, okay, how do we actually track our data? How do we store it? How do we start reporting on it? And that would only increase as you kind of evolve in maturity. But it should focus on that side. And then once you've worked out what it is you want to deliver, then you can assess, I suppose, the vendors yeah. and work out, yeah, we, we could probably maybe a snowflake would be best for this or yeah, power BI. I was asked a similar question by a, a, a small business yesterday, actually. Where where do we where do we begin? Because um, conversation it was a conversation around finance and KPIs uh, and metrics. And I said, <coughs> you know, there are so many. Where do we start? And I think it's a really good point on around. Um, you know, firstly, start with what are you trying to achieve as a business? You know, what do you, what are your objectives? You know, if it's brand awareness, you might want to look at you know social media likes and shares yeah. um, you know if it's you know you're, you're all about the profit and then you know you, you can start to map your finance KPIs into those financial objectives so you know our objective is to make a million pound in profit how are we going to do it how are we going to measure it yeah. um, and, and what are the things that you know what is the data that could help to influence that and you may come back to the more brand awareness we create, yeah. actually that also feeds into to profitability. Yeah. And you can start to track and measure yeah. um, measure that. <coughs> so, yeah. and, and, and in terms of agile modeling, yeah. we've got this written down here. I, I, I mean, I know agile is uh, a way of developing in yeah. short sprints. It's come about through um, 
how we now use apps on our phone and it's yeah. a constant release of new features yeah. and that's come from you know I remember Prince methodology SSADM now we've got agile or, or waterfall now agile so yeah. what's agile modeling then yeah so it, in lots of ways it's taking that same concept which is applied to kind of agile projects but how do you apply that to something which is so governed and strict as a, a big data warehouse which historically takes a very long time to once you've kind of built it if you're making changes it takes a very long time to adapt to the data yeah. warehouse and it's trying to find a way to make sure that the time that you actually get the requirements deliver it that those requirements are still valid and trying to speed up that process so a big part of it is kind of you know getting the data in raw form making sure that users have access to it straight away often when people kind of hear about bi requirements it's it's too fuzzy they don't really understand it you deliver what they asked for originally it's wrong it's incorrect so the whole agile data modeling concept is kind of basically about trying to quicken that process get people hands on with the data uh, and actually starting to work with it to make sure what you build uh, is actually correct and kind of these um, cloud um, kind of tools and technologies help with that because they help to speed up uh, the entire process and yeah. everything becomes a lot more uh, agile you can actually make sure that So, so one of the, the, the comments from, uh, I don't know if you saw the talk uh, by Rob Thomas from IBM. Yes. Big data. Yeah, 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 so yeah. so he, he said two uh, really interesting things that stuck out for me. The, the, the first was the, the big barrier to AI adoption at scale is the collection and organization of information um, was the first one. And the second thing he said is ensure that you build for change. Uh, and, and it's a, something that historically, as Tom alluded to, in, in big data warehouses, um, they, they, they become very difficult to change over time. So agile modeling is, is, is about exactly that. It's about building for change. Um, so, so not building uh, data models where all your data is heavily <coughs> dependent on each yeah. entity, actually almost decoupling it. So yeah. we've got our products, we've got our markets, um, you know, we've got our sales. And actually, these these entities almost behave independently. But if we want to link them, um, so I think uh, we're looking at data modeling at the moment. Uh, and, and again, it's a really good way of looking at the world. Um, created by a guy called Dan Linstead. Okay. Um, and and again, I think there's a lot of traction with with data at the moment um, because actually historic ways of modeling data have made um, these data warehouses very difficult change now in a world of agile you know an agile bi um, and, and just the nature of business now that businesses are constantly changing you know constantly changing their markets and the way they want to report their finances yeah. you have to have systems that that um, are exactly what, what Rob was saying they have to be built for change yeah um, so. you were talking earlier when we were coming downstairs about a client that you were trying to do some reporting for and the data wasn't quite right and you, you said, I quote, correct me if I'm wrong, you said there's no point in us doing anything because the data's just not right yeah. and, and what you said earlier though, uh, Tom was about the, um, the agile approach to it, let's just get something out there, it's quite interesting because there's two school of thoughts there, there's that right let's, let's not do anything until it's all perfect then we can load it into a central repository, we can clean it, and then, then we can report on it. Yeah. And actually, one of the talks, 
at Big Data London from British American Tobacco was actually like, do you know what? And, it, and it's this agile methodology maybe, and it's just let's try something, break it, and then let's just fix it again. And if we go quick enough, it's okay. Yeah. Um, and I guess it goes against that data scientist mentality of no, it has to be perfect before we put it in. And the guy from BAC was saying, well, do you know what, actually, let's just get it in and we'll report on it and it'll look wrong, but we'll let the users loose on it and they'll see themselves why it's wrong and how it's wrong. They'll see the, yeah. the and actually it'll get them thinking more like a data analyst yeah. or a data scientist yeah. in the first place. So if you get, so if you get your user thought into, this is why we're, you need to do it this way in a structured fashion, because this is what's going to happen at the end of it. Yeah. Is that kind of where we're at now? It's kind of like, okay, well, let's just let them get on with it a little bit. And in some ways, yeah, yeah, I think that's the case. If you have like a six month release and you wait for everything to be right and you build lots of different things, put it in, then you only find out things are wrong six months down the line. Yeah. You've built five or six things that are all related to each yeah. other, then you need to change something. It's so much more difficult. Okay. Whereas this approach of actually yeah, get the users to understand the data, start you know, understanding what fields are available, understanding how the data kind of joins together, yeah. um, and then you can find out something's wrong after two or three weeks, fix it, and then it's right for everything else. That is that is kind of the much more modern approach to, yeah. to it. But obviously, certain things like you know, with finances, balance sheets, P&Ls, when you get to that level, <laughs> things have to be correct for the markets, but certainly during development, so it, it really depends on the use case. I think nine times out of ten, I think you're right. Get the data out there uh, and and ensure that you've got that feedback loop. Yeah. Data, you know, might be a data quality dashboard. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a simple thing to build, but it's often something that's missing in projects. Is you know, so that I'm a business user, I want to see is my is my data good? Is it just ninety percent accurate? Maybe ninety percent accurate is fine, um, but at least I know there's ten percent of my data that's incorrect. Great. Yeah. Uh, but if it's statutory reporting, um, it's got to be correct, right? Yeah, so, of course. so uh, something that um, I've seen done previously, uh, and something that we're, we're building into our framework, is um, tiers of uh, you know criticality of that data. Yeah, if if that you know certain entities or attributes uh, have to be 100% accurate, you know, kind of statutory reporting stuff. So that's that's going to be in your gold tier. Course, yeah, yeah, you might have uh, a silver and a bronze tier, which actually, you know, if that data is is 95, 90% accurate, it's still going to give us tremendous value. Um, but again, make sure you know the data that's not accurate. So build that feedback loop for business. Yeah. And the other thing is build transparency for the business. Is the other thing that I often um, see doesn't happen in projects is is the the end user is none the wiser is my data good is it bad you know i don't really know what the numbers i'm, I'm looking at are telling me um if you if you've got that dashboard and that transparency um, it actually starts to drive behavior so good example um, did some work for a, a, a large automotive manufacturer and uh, it was a, a pmo dashboard right so project managers historically weren't updating their project status, their rag status, quite a common scenario. Uh, this particular client had a huge IT spend across the business uh, and the senior management didn't have visibility of that IT spend. 
and we built a dashboard which gave the management visibility of uh, you know brag statuses but also who wasn't updating you know when you're spending you know millions on, on an IT project but that status hasn't been updated for three months once the senior leadership know about it that actually drives behaviors yeah so although the data was poor and previously the the solution or the the problem statement was we can't build the dashboard because the data's bad. What we did is we built the dashboard and the data actually got better because right. because of the dashboard, because, yeah. because of the visibility. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think also, I mean, so like what we'd say in kind of satellite is, is we focus on connecting data technology and teams. And I think having, as they were saying, the regular feedback loops, actually getting it out in two or three weeks, you have to then speak to the business. They have to then speak to the team who are actually developing it. Yeah. You make the changes. So that communication line is then open and people are just human at the end of the day. But if you can start connecting those teams, making them much more intertwined, things are going to go a lot more smoothly than it would be. So that's why I think really the kind of agile modeling approach it works better from an organizational perspective. I think it actually just makes sure that you get the data faster, you get it more reliable, uh, it kind of works for everyone. Yeah. And, and I think that connecting teams piece, it's about honesty, you know, People want to know what their problems are. And I think the guys that sit in the dark room will often um, almost try and mask those issues. Yeah, we built this great system, everything's great, right? And, and then it goes out and business, you know, the business know their data. They, they yeah. typically, you know, they have a pretty good feel for, for where things are at. And, and, you know, they want that transparency. They want that visibility of where the pain points, where the issues are, where the data's not happening. So I think that connecting teams piece is all about um, a building your system so that the business have that data quality yeah. dashboard and that visibility. Secondly, building in simplicity in the form of you know data catalogs. If I'm a business user, I might not know what uh, a certain attribute or a certain field even means. And there's often you know and there's so many acronyms in business now, right? So so you know. I don't know, one of my we, we talk about A, A, B, and A, C rates, right? and, and believe it or not, the A, B is the actual, right. <laughs> and the A, C is the standard. You might think it'd be the other way around. So new people coming into that business may not know what that even, yeah. you know, what, what, what that even means, or get it the wrong way around. So yeah. building data catalogs and, and building transparency in those systems, so that teams understand what they're looking at and where their issues are, I think is really, really important. Um, when it comes to recruiting for a team, um, yeah. where's the, where, where, where should a company start? Um, at what level should they start at, do you think? Yeah, I think this is something we were talking about the other day because we were kind of thinking about this as a, a blog idea as in you know, kind of what people, what key people do you need in your team to get started on kind of a, an analytics project? And I, I suppose kind of the most important, I guess, would be like the solution architect in terms of starting on day one, working out, okay, what is it we're looking to deliver? What parts of the jigsaw do we need to actually make this thing work end to end? Yeah. Um, along with the, I guess, the business analysts. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think the business analyst has to be somebody that understands data. It has to, they have to be that bridge. Yeah. So not only do they need, it, it, it certainly helps if they have a really good feel for the business domain, whether it be finance, whether it be HR, sales and marketing. You know, if they've worked in that space, they'll understand the common challenges, yeah. but they'll also understand the, the data team. So, you know, the solution architect, 
um, I, I almost see the business analyst as the bridge between the solution architect and, and you know, it might be your, your finance director is saying, you know, this is what we're trying to achieve as a business, yeah. uh, this is what we would like to measure, uh, and then the business analyst will, will almost sort of relay that to your, um, to your architect, and the architect will say, okay, this is what you're trying to do, and this is strategically where you'd like to go, you know, here's a solution that would, would, would help you get there. Yeah, and I suppose the key, and you probably find this maybe more uh, in terms of the kind of roles and stuff you get in at the moment, but I think more than ever, people who are on the technical side, especially at the beginning, like, need to have a very strong functional understanding. We have to be able to work together with business teams, especially early on in the project, to really make sure that all the processes are set up, you understand the data, you understand exactly what you're building, and likewise the other way around, the business analyst or whatever it is from the business with that knowledge needs to have an understanding of the data, what is it we're trying yeah. to build, how do we kind of translate that. So I think in the beginnings of the project, those skills, it's almost very kind of similar between the business analyst who needs to have a strong data understanding and the, the kind of solution architect who needs to have a strong business understanding. Yeah. I suppose you maybe see it with some of the roles that you play so now with. We do, yeah. But we, 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 we see this, um, I guess, challenge where you've got a small company that can't necessarily afford to take on a business analyst and a solution architect and a data analyst and a data scientist. Yeah. So they've got you know a senior person there who will recruit a data scientist and a data analyst. And I think we've, we've taught some, you know, talked about how much time spent does a data scientist spend on cleaning up data? Um, and I get this feeling a little bit like, you know, a, a really, like Picasso, <coughs> you wouldn't get him just sort of painting a wall, would you? No. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm making data science a little bit more grandiose than they actually are, I don't know, but still it's about making sure people are doing the right thing in their, in their skill set. And I guess if you've got somebody, a data scientist in, there's no point in getting them to do the, the heavy lifting when you can have a data engineer or a data analyst to do that for you. Exactly. I think I think that's the key. If you have systems in place and as we were talking about earlier, kind of automated processes and you know, lots of this is coming in now for kind of making manual tasks for such as data cleaning. You know, there's artificial intelligence which starts to be used to automatically clean the data, prep the data. Actually, the more that you can automate that stuff and let data scientists get on with their job, yeah. it's kind of the same with anything, right? If you've got like a manager, you don't want them taking all the notes for meetings and of doing course. all that stuff, yeah. wasting time on the low value tasks. It's the same concept, I suppose. Absolutely, and, and, and I think the, 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 the data scientist role is a, a really good example. It's that stat that 80% spend their time cleansing and, and you know, combining data. Uh, and, and again, it's the, this point that um, uh, the name? Uh, Robert Thomas from, yeah. from IBM made yeah. uh, that that you know the the biggest challenge to that scalable AI is is you know collecting and organising data. Now, is your data scientist who's got you know a heavy statistical background and you know super smart and, and you know that are those guys? Should they be spending 80% of their time doing that or should they be analysing and, and creating value from, from that data for the business? Um, but for the smaller companies, yes, it's a challenge, right? Because you've got all of these roles and the blog yeah. that we're going to 
post shortly, people will go, whoa, I need all of those roles. Um, but actually, so something that um, Peter Jackson, Caroline Carruthers uh, talk about in their, in their Chief Data Officer playbook, uh, they talk about just making sure the people you do hire, uh, uh, they use the term data cheerleaders. So people who have got curiosity uh, to learn more about the business uh, and, and about data and, and, and people who innovate, but people who are gonna go out and, and you know build the case for why data is important yeah. and, and how it can add value in that business. So I would say, you know, if, if you can't afford all of those resources, you know, maybe get someone that can build, build Power BI reports uh, yeah. and, and, you know, learn a little bit of DAX code uh, to, 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 to just get people excited yeah. and somebody that's passionate and enthusiastic about it. And I think once you can start to illustrate value from doing those more um, basic tasks and even using, like I say, Microsoft flows to automate things, it doesn't even need to be flows, right? Is there, but, you know, what's a tool like that? You, existing BI tools have got capabilities to create alerts and do certain things. And, you know, there's lots of ways you can, you can simplify. So, but I think regardless of who it is from a recruitment perspective, I just say make sure those, those people are passionate yeah. and make sure they're good communicators and that's yeah. really, really key. Do you see yourself as, as data scientists yourself? I, I wish I could give myself uh, a grandiose term, a data scientist. I think I wouldn't call myself a data scientist. My partner actually is a data scientist. So I know that if she's watching it, there's no way I can claim <laughs> 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 to get away with it. I'm not gonna get away with it, I'm getting called out. Um, but I think, yeah, so I, I would class myself as kind of a, a data engineer, kind of more working, um, you know, work stream but I think the the key is for companies to start thinking about how or making sure they don't run before they can walk yeah. so they need to get the data in place to actually be able to get the most value out of AI so this is about building a foundation building a scalable data warehouse somewhere where you can actually store your data things are correctly you know basics like um, master data making sure your customers your products know what they are you don't have it in lots of different systems, lots of different places. And that's, I suppose, where I see us as being, you know, where we come in is kind of, okay, we'll build you that data foundation. We'll give you uh, the place where you can actually go in, you can start accessing your data, you start understanding your data, and then as you mature, yeah, you'll have your reports, you'll build a proper reporting solution. Yeah. Then you'll probably look towards the data scientists yeah. and then say, okay, yeah, we know that we are making this much profit, we yeah. know that we're making this many sales, how do we find the variables that maybe we've not seen before, yeah. we know we're tracking them, but we don't know that you know this affects sales in this yeah. way, yeah. that's where then you start to bring those data scientists in, and yeah, I suppose that's you know, how the two link together really. Yeah. So, so I, I see um, Snap Analytics and, and, and you know where, where we come in, it's about that collecting and organising of information. Yeah. Um, so, so what that does, it, it, it enables your scalable AI. Uh, it enables your uh, analysts who are out in the business trying to make sense of data uh, as well. And I think, you know, historically there's there's been this almost divide. We're going to go and build a data lake and do some data science, or uh, or we're going to get Power BI and just build some reports um, without, you know, because uh, you know collecting and organising information it's not sexy, right? Whereas if you've got a dashboard, you're building AI, you know, we're doing AI, it's great. Um, I think 
what often gets forgotten is actually the, the collecting and organizing of information is really, really critical if you want to do self-service analytics for AI at scale. Uh, and, and the scale thing is important because yes, you can build some reports, you can do it off of Excel, um, but, but is that gonna scale over billions of rows of data? Um, you know, is it gonna have longevity? Is it gonna be flexible? So if you build lots of logic in Power BI reports, you know, over time it gets to a point where you, you know, someone asks you for a change and it's gonna take you a week to do it because you built so much logic yeah. in, in the wrong layer. And actually fundamentally, if you've got kind of three people telling you different sales numbers for the same thing, then you get yourselves into a real mess and end up spending so much time trying to work that out. And that's often what happens, right? Someone goes away and they build their Excel because they don't have the platform to be able to get the data themselves. Someone else goes, builds a Power BI report, does the same thing, but lots of different logic. And then you get into a place where actually your business reporting starts to be a mess. I think that's, that's the point, right? Get the foundation layer in place. Everyone knows the core data they're working from is correct, it's validated. It's kind of a clear lineage, you can trace the data, it's auditable, and then you can start doing your AI and your data science and stuff on top of that. So the message is get the basics right, get the foundation in place, yeah. uh, make sure that your data's in a reasonably good format and, yeah. it's, and it's good quality, Yeah. and do the simple things right, basically, yeah? Yeah, basically. Absolutely. It's not new concepts. No, it's right? not. That's it's, why, it's, um, it's, maybe we're, we're preaching the same old stuff but actually it's still important right? there's still big businesses that are, that are not um, using a common data platform there's so much more data being created that the need for this is still probably more important than ever yeah. um, and I think you know what you were saying about you know kind of small companies it's the same with big companies right hiring data scientists to try and tackle a particular problem but actually you know they're trying to cheat the system, they're trying to get to the, the latest step, but they waste the time, um, you know, trying to clean the data, bring the data together, all of that stuff. Just get the basics. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I think, although it might be the same old stuff, I think the problem gets uh, bigger, uh, but the solution gets easier. So what, what I mean by that is the, the, the problem um, of having to join data from lots of different sources um, you've now got lots of external sources and APIs, you've got yeah. on-premise systems, you've got SaaS solutions, you've got the likes of Salesforce and Workday now. Historically, you might have had all your data in a you know, big monolithic ERP system. I think uh, even Gartner say the days of the monolithic ERP system are, are over. What does that mean? It means the <coughs> data's in more places now, not fewer. Uh, so, so you need a platform where you can join it together um, more than ever. The reason I think the solution, uh, in a sense, gets 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 easier, so the, the technical solutions, um, is that the cloud enables me to uh, create a massively scalable data warehouse in seconds, uh, maybe minutes at a push. Um, and I can literally fire up this service and load billions of rows of data. I can scale that up and down in seconds as I would like. I can pay for what I use. What that does is it gives you back time. So the three months or six months that you would have spent, you know, procuring servers and scaling them, deciding how much, you know, load you need and disk space, you know, it, that kind of goes away now because actually 
bar of data warehouse, I can start to do a POC, and I know that you know whether I've got 100 rows or 50 million rows, it's going to scale quite happily. Um, so I can take back that time, and I can start to invest it in looking at my master data, you know, looking at my data quality, uh, and, and building those relationships with the business. Yeah. So rather than the techies all sat in a room doing stuff, and people scratching their heads going, I don't know what these guys are doing. <laughs> we were doing stuff. We were working yeah, busily yeah, yeah. away. You know, look at you know indexing tables, yeah. things like that. You don't have to do anymore. You know, performance tuning to try and make sure that the report runs within yeah, ten seconds incorrectly and all that stuff. All, all of that overhead now starts to go away with with tools like Snowflake. And, and what that means is, it doesn't mean there's going to be mass redundancies, right? Uh, necessarily. Uh, it, it means you can take back that time and invest it in the things yeah. that really, really add value. And I think there's this stat, you know, 85% of, up to 85% of big data projects fail. But if you could take back that time spent doing technical stuff that you don't have to do anymore and actually invest it in, in data quality, in master data. Work out the data that you need. Yeah. yeah. Building the data catalog so the business understands what's in there. You know, I think we can deliver much, much better solutions and we can deliver them quicker because you haven't got that same technical overhead. Would you agree that, um, and this is something I hear a lot of, um, in our last video podcast that we did with Mediacom in Leeds, yeah. um, Neil Charles, the head of, of, of data there, he said there's no, everyone comes, he, every day, every month, he gets approached by a company that says, we've got the silver bullet. We've got the thing that you'll just load everything into and it'll all be good. Yeah. And for him, it's around measuring the performance of media spend. Okay. And every now and again, someone comes along and says, we're going to do this. And, and, and no matter how many times you've seen all these products, yeah. nobody's really ever given him anything that replaces old-fashioned econometric modelling <coughs> and actually using a few of these tools to make life a little bit easier, but bolting things on. And he was saying, you know, nowadays, and especially at Big Data London, it feels like when you see that graph and that image of all of those different products all together, it feels like that data is this, this thing where everything fits with each other. Not quite like Lego, yeah. but you're almost there. Yeah. So would you agree that there isn't one sort of single platform? There's no silver bullet. It is a case of there's lots and lots of things out yeah. there, and you just need to create a team that can put those things together, like yeah. Lego, to create you a, a decent solution. Yeah, definitely, I think so. I think, you know, one, one solution that might be right for one company might not be right for another company, right? A company that you know, uses Microsoft for all of its stuff and actually you know, having a Microsoft system that yeah. nicely integrates is key. But I think the key with any kind of data platform, it needs to be able to integrate with lots of different other technologies yeah. in kind of like a ecosystem I think that's more and more that's becoming so important the new data sources that you see from different places making sure that you can use APIs to get all that data integrate with lots of different kinds of systems I think those flexible tools will be the ones that have the most longevity in a business I think tools that make it difficult to join up with data then they're not going to get as much traction as what, what tools do you guys you talked about snowflake a few times yeah what other if you were to kind of from that big list of, of products and platforms and tools and different vendors 
who would you say stand out ones that we should be looking out for over the next few years? So it's a good question because the picture is, is enormous, as you yeah. saw from Big Data London. And, uh, had a conversation with um, with, a, with a guy I've worked with previously recently, and he said, where do I start? Because yeah. there's, there's such <coughs> a, a vast kind of array of tools now, and it's really exciting because so many of those tools have got so much potential. Um, so uh, there is no one size fits all. Uh, I was recently talking to an energy company, yeah, and, and you know they said, we're not interested in you know a data warehouse. We, we give our business autonomy. We're, uh, we're you know, they're, uh, they're one of the unicorns uh, uh, startup, and they say we, we use uh, Kafka topics. So, so if, if finance want to build a data warehouse or uh, you know use Databricks to you know uh, build a, a solution um, or Apache Spark or whatever else they want to use uh, or SQL Server, they can do what they like as long as they publish that data to a Kafka topic, which means it can be shared. So I, I, I can then effectively subscribe to that uh, and receive that feed of data. Um, and, and I thought, you know, that again, you know, I was like, yeah, that's that brilliant, you know, yeah. that's, that's a great solution. Um, so that, that, you know, it, there is no one size fits all. And again, they're, they're a company that has, you know, lots of technical capability. So, so those kind of organisations can can maybe use those more open source tools. Apache uh, Spark is is fantastic, and yeah. um, uh, uh, Databricks, Databricks um, has has effectively combined Spark. Kafka, um, so you can do your, you know, your data science. Um, you can, you know, you can build your reports on, on top of Spark, so you can connect in from the likes of Power BI. Really, the speed um, isn't it? Like the multiple parallel yeah. processing. I'm trying to get too technical, but <laughs> basically just being able to load huge data sets in fractions of the time. So yeah, I think things like database processing side of things yeah. are really good. Obviously, we talked about Snowflake, but things like Microsoft Azure, I think you know, there's a lot of talk yeah. about that at Big Data London. Yeah. Um, I see that in practice in my current client. Um, and again, that, that works for them. They're a Microsoft company, they've got a lot of Microsoft products, and you, you can integrate to them quite a lot of things yeah. as well. Um, so I think that's key. And then I guess, because we always talk about a combined store and visualize, so kind of a Databricks kind of stuff for the combined, but also tools like Fivetran, Tilium. Stores obviously like Snowflake is here, but then visualize obviously it's things that I think most people have heard of. So Power BI is great, it's quite affordable, yeah. Tableau as well, yeah. they're so easy to use. So I think kind of those are the tools which I suppose we hear the most about. And, and, and Looker is just the big Google acquisition of yeah. Looker. Oh, okay. um, the, the interesting thing about Looker again is that there's, there's no client uh, and, and they only work with very fast databases. So. You, you almost remove this additional layer, which is the cube, yeah. um, which uh, we did have a cube on our logo previously. <coughs> but we, we took it out because actually, um, with with you know Databricks, with Snowflake, with SQL Data Warehouse, you can actually start to go. Well, actually, do we need cubes anymore? Because actually, we can directly connect these tools to very fast databases. Uh, and, and what Looker have done quite cleverly, I think, is said, do you know what? We're not going to talk to all your legacy. You know, old data warehouses. We're only going to talk to the new cloud, very fast databases, and we're going to be a service. We're going to be, a, you know. So again, you fire up, you know, you subscribe to Looker effectively, and um, and, and I've been interested in Looker for quite a while. And then I saw the Google acquisition, and I thought, yeah, you know, there's there's something 
there's something here as well. Yeah. So it'll be they're they're a really interesting one to watch moving forward as as well. Um, and just looping back to your question, Sam, on you know I'm a small company, where do I start? If 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 you get a a data engineer that knows Python and can play around with a you know whether it's Looker or Power BI or Tableau, you know if you get someone that can do those yeah. two things, uh, you know they can just they can literally fire up a tool like Databricks and they can write Python, SQL, and they can probably do some really amazing things. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's getting that kind of person who's sort of more, a little bit multi-talented, someone who's really inquisitive and can learn, uh, and like I say the architect that goes and stands up all these systems in a small business you don't really need that guy anymore yeah. um, because actually if I'm if I'm quite technically competent and I know a bit of coding yeah. I can actually just fire up a service and do some really really cool stuff yeah. very quickly so yeah. I think they're, they're the companies for me that will win out is the, the ones that have adopted that kind of subscription model uh, and the ones that have solved the performance problems and the ones that just offer that simplicity yeah. Um, that take away the pain of all of the, you know, indexing and partitioning and having to scale and size servers. Yeah, it, fe it feels like um, there's no limitations anymore. But it, but it, but I guess it's just about what are the business needs, what's yeah. the tech platform, what are we, what's our tech stack right now? Yeah. Um, and and if you're starting from scratch, then you know the world's your oyster a little bit. Yeah, I certainly think. The, the limitations that there were previously have been massively reduced. I think kind of if you had a hundred limitations before, that's now kind of just down to about ten or so. Yeah. You still need to get your data to join it. You still need people to model it correctly and all of that stuff. Those limitations don't go away. But yeah, in terms of having you know to look after the databases and everything else like that, there is you know Microsoft or Google or Amazon, whoever it is, they have a lot more speciality in dealing with that so if you can outsource it and just say actually you know, we only use cloud providers it takes so much of the pain away the simplicity as you were saying Dave I mean, that's probably the one thing we do focus on whatever we do we try and make it simple I think you know, being a cloud analytics company is kind of the way in which you can start to progress to that and, and I think coming back to what you do Sam which is <laughs> recruitment I think one of the big limitations particularly in the UK is, is, is that talent pool. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, people are, you know, there's lots of degrees now. You see, you know, the Aston University, I think Manchester have got the data science degree. It, it's definitely becoming more prevalent, but uh, I think um, I think getting getting talent and getting really good communicators that maybe know a little bit of coding uh, and, and understand how business works and, yeah. and, and you know, where, where businesses are trying to get to if you can find that talent, then, um, then then you can get massive value from the assets that you've yeah. got yeah. to your data. Um, I was going to ask you about um, kind of somebody coming out of uh, school um, and looking at whether I go into data, whether I go into IT. Um, what what advice would you give to uh, a student maybe looking to get into data? Where where should they start? And, what, what, what kind of things should they be doing at home, maybe, outside of just the normal curriculum in any kind of college or uni? Yeah, I, I, th I think probably the key thing is obviously just get hands-on. I think the more that you can understand general concepts rather than stick yourself to a particular technology, then that's probably the key to having a, a kind of longer, I guess, more successful career, 
yeah. you know, technologies will come and go. And we'll probably see that even with some of the technologies that we're talking about today. Ten years' time, there'll be a whole new set of technologies. But actually, the understanding of basic data concepts, you know, basic modeling concepts, that won't change. You yeah. still need that. So I, I, that would be kind of my advice: is kind of play around with different tools, kind of see how the same tool or different tools do the same kind of things. Yeah. And make sure that you kind of you know, really, um, really understand the core data modeling concepts behind it. That would be, I suppose. It's a really interesting question, and, and personally, I think about what the future looks like for my own kids, yeah. and, and and how I can you know, advise them on on what kind of things they they might might want to uh, explore. And I think, yeah, um, I don't know if you've come across Noah Yuval Harari, um, but he's uh, a really interesting guy. He talks a lot about you know how AI is going to transform the future. He's quite popular over in Silicon Valley, I think. Right. But, um, but, but he's got an amazing perspective. Um, so yeah, he's, he's done a couple of TED talks. Uh, but um, you know, I think you know, it, th there's a big question over whether there'll be mass job losses. So you think I, I always think of the Amazon warehouse, right? Yeah. You know, maybe even five years ago, that would have been people going around picking stock off the shelves. Now it's almost entirely automated. There's yeah. robots doing those um, manual tasks. I think you know. If I was advising the next generation, I, I, I'd, I'd certainly be steering them towards, um, you know, learn some coding. Because, but you're right, Tom. In ten years, it might not be Python. But if you understand those concepts, you know, it's you know, someone's still got to code the robots, right? Yeah, of course. Um, I think machine learning is really, really interesting. Um, so understanding machine learning and how that works, I do think machine learning will become democratized, so that you know. You or I could, could, could build our own models. Um, I think some of the tools are starting to go that way already. Um, you've got to be a bit careful with that one. But, <laughs> but, but you know, there are, there are already, you know, you, you, you can almost start to sort of, you know, drag and drop, this is what I want the machine to do, and it will go and start to teach itself. Yeah, and, I but I think coding yeah. uh, those technologies, there'll always be the need for people that can yeah. um, understand those. And I mean, I think we've kind of spoken about it quite a lot. Today, but having the functional skills to go with that, right? So, all of the new technology that we're getting, it's gonna. I read an interesting article about augmentation. How essentially it's just gonna help us do our jobs a lot better. But if you think about, you know, we're talking about data scientists. Okay, so maybe they used to be extremely technical and they needed to go and code everything. Actually, there's so much automation now that they are needing to become data storytellers. They need to understand yeah. the business. They need yeah. to actually. You know, provide insight as opposed to just you know, describing exactly what's happening. So I think yeah, make sure that you don't, you know, in your first jobs and things, don't try and just buckle down and focus on the technology. Understand what it's trying to achieve. Make sure you speak to the business. Understand what they're looking to get from it. Uh, and I think you'll end up kind of having a lot more insight. Yeah, and we've not really, well, we t kind of touched on visualization tools. Yeah. And it's something that comes up a lot when we talk to clients that they decide to adopt or go with a visualization platform, whether it be Power BI or Tableau or Click. Yeah. Um, and they all have their valid, valid reasons for going down that route. But um, in your opinion, okay, yeah. what would you say your favorite tool is? And, and because visualization, storytelling, everyone talks about data storytelling, and of course, doing all that back-end 
data analysis and then the reporting, it's really, really important that the business kind of goes, ah, that R moment, and that's what you get from the visualization, I guess, and the dashboarding. So what, what in your, which one, in your opinion, is the best and why? Yeah, I, I think... Or your favourites and why, let's not say the best. Favourites. <laughs> uh, I, th I think Tableau has to be up there. It, it is market leader, and yeah. it's market leader for a reason. It's, it's had lots of functionality, and it always tends to be at the forefront. But I mean, I see, so on my project at the moment, we're using Power BI a lot, and actually the amount of functionality which is constantly being released every week, every couple of weeks, um, yeah, Power BI is actually becoming a really, really good tool, and it's kind of getting up to the point where it's starting to match with Tableau. So for me, I see the most use in, in those tools. But yeah. I, I think I'm gonna abstain from this one. I think there's, uh, <laughs> you know, had some very, I think people get quite sort of tribal about which, yeah. which uh, tool to use in organizations. And, and actually, I think if you've got that foundation, and uh, particularly in the large organizations, you're gonna see people using Tableau, almost certainly. You're gonna see people using Power BI, MicroStrategy, Business Objects. In it and and I think it's all around the skills if you've got guys who are fantastic at business objects and they've been using it for 10 years and it's it's delivering what <coughs> exactly what they want then that enables your business if you then say right you know somebody senior comes along and says, no we're not going to use that anymore we're going to use Tableau um, you know albeit you know the tool may look nicer um, actually you know that may inhibit your business because you haven't yeah, got the right yeah. skills to, to use those tools. I, I think you know there's so many great tools out there, and um, you know Microsoft have done a, a great job kind of bringing bringing Power BI, um, you know, uh, developing that and, and, and bringing that to market. Um, but I think, like I say, the look at it is clear. Yeah, so you stayed right on the fence there. Yeah. I, think, I, think, I think they're all really, really good tools. Um, and, and I think, you know, um, they're all really good, whatever. <laughs> yeah. but, but I think, you know, whatever your business is comfortable yeah. with and gets value, I think, like I say, as long as that foundation is solid, um, then I think you're going to get massive value from, from any of those tools. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, as you say, like they all have their perks, they all have like my, something that they might do and the other one doesn't or whatever, but fundamentally getting the insight out of that data, you can do it in all of the tools, whichever is the one that works for you. The, people in your organization understand the best basically whatever allows you to get the understanding and the meaning of your data best is yeah. you know, what you choose and, and just just as a good example one of one of uh, my clients is uh, using MicroStrategy that offers uh, commentary capability which okay. which the other tools don't yeah. do uh, and, and you know yeah, again so that you know there's some, some good really good functionality in there that that they wouldn't have if they'd have gone with a, a power bi or a so it, it is. The, it all depends on what you're trying to achieve. So that commentary allows them to annotate their financial reports, yeah. um, which is really useful. So I think you know it. It really depends what you're trying to what you're trying to achieve. And I think having having a combination of those in your business is, is absolutely fine. Yeah, as long as they all access the, the same kind of data and you have that data platform, then you, know, you can use kind of pretty much any kind of visualization. And and I think this debate gets to more airtime than it really warrants because what we're not talking about is market <coughs> data, what we're yeah. not talking about is data security. We talk, we, let's face it, the, the, the reporting and the self-service analytics, so that's, 
that's the sexy bit that's the bit where people go wow it's the wow factor but there's so much underneath that that, that we're missing yeah. um, so the classic the iceberg isn't it you have like the little top which exactly. business can see and it's the front end reports and everything but it's the massive bit underneath the surface which is you know is the hard work and that's that's where you really need to get it right you get to platform in data what do we see um, has changed in, in, in your world over the last, say, five, ten years? Yeah, I, I think well, probably one of the biggest ones right, is that we're, we're talking about data scientists now. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we didn't talk about data scientists ten years ago, they were kind of statisticians. And all that stuff, essentially, it's the same role, but again, you kind of have those, those changing titles. I think there's new roles being created by data Absolutely, I think I think the the increase in the number of chief data officers in organisations. I, I, I did see a stat that ninety percent of organisations will have a chief data officer by twenty twenty. Um, wow. We're not far away from there now, so it would be interesting to yeah. see how accurate that was. But um, but I think what that shows is that organisations are realising the power of data and what an asset it is to their organization. Yeah. And if you look at the companies that have been massively successful, you have the likes of Amazon and Google, they're massively data rich. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, even, you know, I talked earlier a bit about automotive, if you look at the potential for, <coughs> for data and automotive, you know, um, connected cars, uh, even the driverless cars, the amount of data that they will generate, you know, data's Absolutely critical to, to, you know, particularly those those kind of organisations, and actually whether you're a retail business or a consumer goods business, you know, data gives companies the opportunities to drive massive efficiencies in their in their companies, you know, finance teams, HR teams, and and I think that chief data officer role is a really really key one because what they do is they they give visibility of data across functions rather yeah. than just within individual functions because one of the big challenges is the silos of data across big companies you know when companies make acquisitions yeah, yeah, you know yeah. you can end up with 20 30 probably more data warehouses yeah. across these businesses um, spinning out different numbers I think as, as Tom alluded to earlier and I think having somebody in the c-suite saying right these are our objectives coming straight from the CEO, uh, and this is how we're going to use data to enable those those objectives, um, and, and even to create new business models, connected car, you know, uh, understanding how people are driving and selling information to insurers, you know, yeah. you can actually start to then monetize data course, yeah. and build whole new revenue streams from data as well. So I think that chief data officer role, someone who, who pulls everything together, that's a, a data cheerleader yeah. um, uh, and really understands business and technology it is an absolutely key role that we'll see more and more of those types of roles. They might not be called chief data officer, they might be called head of data analytics, yeah. or head of data or head of BI, but ultimately in organisations the, the, the people that can join uh, those functions together and create synergies and, and help to articulate the value to the business at a very strategic level, I think those people are going to be very, very valuable. Yeah, 
I think building that data-driven culture, you need the people with the right skills. So you do, yeah. can understand the data. I suppose this must be what you see from a mm. kind of recruitment perspective is actually companies more and more say, well, we probably need people with the data skills so that we can actually start to leverage all of this data that we have. Yeah, I, 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 absolutely. I think um, we're constantly being asked all the time, you know, how much do you actually know about data as a, as a recruiter? Yeah. And that's really, really crucial to get it right when it comes to us trying to find people. Um, understanding the difference between a data analyst and a data engineer. Yeah. Um, somebody who's got very strong cloud experience, who's not just a BI developer in a data warehouse yeah. on-premise kind of situation, but really, really understands and knows the importance of getting that data right. That's a, a, a big thing that I'm hearing a lot right now. And I yeah. think that understanding clouds is really important. Uh, one of the aspects, so let's let's say I just you know, give, get a data scientist and data engineer and I set them loose in the cloud and they load 10 billion rows or whatever. Right, Those costs can start to spiral very, very yeah, quickly. Yeah, so yeah. although we say, yeah, it's better, faster, it's cheaper, it's not always cheaper if you don't optimize um, <coughs> what you're building for the cloud. Of course. Yeah, so if you've got a, you know, massive data warehouse and massive processing, and and you you don't know how to optimize your costs. You know, you can end up still spending millions on that solution accidentally. Yeah. And I've heard some <laughs> use cases. Um, I'm not going to mention the technology yeah. where um, one query has cost. I think it was forty thousand wow. pounds um, to, yeah. to to run. So I think you know, um, uh, yeah, but but uh, but you know that they're the kind of uh, horror stories. So I think if you've got somebody that can uh, understand how you can you know, avoid those kind of scenarios, how you can optimize costs uh, and, and performance, and, um, and even mitigating the risk of, um, you know, so, so multi-cloud is something you may, you may yeah. have heard, multi-cloud yeah. strategy. So if I put everything in one cloud with one cloud vendor, you know, the, what if the costs Skyrocket. What if I, you know, if yeah. I constrain myself to one vendor? And what a lot of companies are using is, is tools like Docker, containerizing, yeah. uh, you know, open source tools within Docker. So yeah. Apache Spark. So actually, if my Azure costs go through the roof and Google's cheaper, I can actually just rip across. Yeah. Um, or if the company, you know, the guy from IT says we're not using Azure anymore, we're going to use Google Cloud Platform, then you know those solutions can can, can switch between the. Cloud. So I think either using vendors that are you know, multi-cloud or um, you know adopting um, you know that open source Dockerized kind of strategy is important. I think those roles coming back to the, to the roles, having people that understand cloud and having maybe those kind of mistakes, yeah. you know, is is really useful. So you get your Oracle developer in on a project like that, he may not understand those things, and he may yeah. go crazy and. You talk about containerization and Docker there, um, and so that leads on to kind of DevOps, which we now know is uh, again a new thing. It yeah. wasn't around 10 years ago. Um, and, and somebody uh, at Big Data London was talking about data ops, and like I heard it from four or five people that data ops, so that's now a thing. Um, but what, what, you know, what is data ops then? So, so I, I kind of, you know, add Agile, data ops, yeah. open, you know, open source. You know, we talked a lot about Python. Yeah. So it's it's it is working in that more 
for me, is working in that more sort of agile fashion uh, and, and your sort of data engineering space. I think there's almost two movements here, um, you know, and, and they're kind of contradictory, but in a way they complement each other. You've got your, your DevOps, and I talked about the, the energy company and the Kafka. You know, they're, they're, they're very much, you know, a data ops type business, so they'll get some guys who know and understand code. You've also got your, your less technical people uh, or companies uh, where the organization is, is maybe less data driven but wants to, to move into that space. And, and things like data warehouse automation, it's the drag and drop. Yeah. Those kind of companies may be better suited to a, you know, a, a more a less data ops environment, a yeah. more the kind of self-service, uh, really making things simple because you can still get tremendous power from a lot of these data warehouse automation technologies, for example. Um, so there is almost, you know, it's almost going in two different directions. And I don't think one is going to win out over the other. Right. I think it depends <coughs> on what you're trying to achieve. If, if it's a heavy data science use case, you might get a team of data scientists and data engineers who know Python, Scala, to, to build something that's very, really quite coded, but yeah. they can probably do it very quickly. Yeah. And you've got the right skills in the business to manage and organize, you know, organize your data in that data ops, yeah. DevOps uh, type fashion, um, whereas other organizations won't necessarily be suited to that way of working. So, um, for us as recruiters, um, I always say to people that work for me when they first start in recruitment and they, they concentrate on a particular vertical market to yeah. really understand the technologies, understand the market. And the best thing to do is to go out and speak to candidates and, and learn about those di different technologies. I've got two people starting work with us very soon um, in the new year that are going to be um, placing people in the US in okay. data. Yeah. What advice would you give a new recruiter, never done recruitment before, they're going to start trying to place people in not only a completely new market to them, yeah. But also, um, you know, the US, this huge market. What what advice would you give me to give them? Yeah. Or what what advice would you give them? I uh, for me, it would be all about understanding the value that data can bring to those companies. So I'd I'd almost start with those use cases. Okay. You know, what are the use cases for for AI in that particular vertical? You know, what are other organisations doing? Um, so as a recruiter, I'd say you don't necessarily need to understand the, you know, the, the you'd be in the weeds and understand the solutions from a technical perspective. Um, but I think definitely understanding how data can bring value to those yeah. businesses and what kind of use cases are out there is, yeah, is really important. I, th I think kind of my advice would be don't stick too narrow. Okay. So I, I think kind of you know, I, I've certainly been in the past actually kind of being a, a developer side of it. Um, stick to just a couple of technologies and just focus all your attention on that then you miss what's happening elsewhere in the wider landscape I think have a, an open mind as to you know, different roles different opportunities different technologies which are emerging uh, and I think keep your finger on the pulse of you know, what is the latest new innovative technologies which might be small now but yeah. actually you know, in two years time that could be where you end up getting a lot of work a lot of big projects skills so I think yeah keeping your finger on the pulse but also having a, a wide view of uh, all the technologies out there would be a key, key advice even 
I don't think it matters if it's US or UK, yeah. really, for data now. It is, it's the same worldwide. So I read a good stat this morning that the, the AI, uh, global market for AI, will be worth, uh, six, <coughs> around 16 trillion by 2030, which is bigger than Google, wow. Facebook, Amazon put together, right? So, okay. so I think the opportunity in, in AI is a, is a really, really interesting one that over the next five to 10 years will really start to take off. I think at the moment, I think around 58% of companies are doing something with AI. Um, but I don't think, you know, across enterprises generally, uh, companies are, are, are always succeeding. There's a lot of, you know, tinkering around the edges. Yeah. But, but it, it, if companies can start to succeed building scalable AI solutions, uh, you can tap into that, you know, massive market. I think um, finding people with those skills um, yeah. and really understanding machine learning, data science. So again, tapping into you know what what are those use cases? What are people doing, and how how we can add value? If you can have that value conversation yeah. rather than you need this technical guy here, he is. It's it's more you know it yeah. is what this person is going to be able to bring to you. Um, and again, it's got to be someone that's good at building relationships. I think if you can combine you know the, the techie with with a great communicator, yeah. um, then I think that's where the massive value. Well, we're, 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 we're trying to, um, our approach to our business model as a recruitment company is always about people first. It's not about filling jobs. We're about actually placing people into jobs. Yeah. So it's about building a relationship with the candidate, understanding what they're looking for from a <coughs> tech point of view, culture, you know, obviously financial, qualifying all that information and then yeah. taking that profile, that person, to the market and, and saying, here we go, I've got this diamond candidate, and, and he or she we're gonna place in the next week to six weeks, are you interested? Um, and, and it being um, you know, a hand-holding exercise for the candidate. So it's not about trying to get lots of jobs and yeah. fill those jobs, it's providing a service to the candidate as well as delivering a, a, a recruitment project for a, for a company. And it's getting that balance right, I suppose one of the biggest things is you know not necessarily just waiting for, for roles to land. If you can build your network, and I mean we see it in projects. There are certain people who are kind of the early adopters, the people who are constantly looking for the next greatest thing, not just happy to keep sitting doing what yeah. they do. If you can find those people and make sure you have a good network of those quality people who are always striving for the latest innovation. But I think you know, that's where, you know, when you do get a role, whatever, then you have the people ready to fill them because yeah. these are the guys who are really always going to be kind of at the top of the market. And uh, I think that's what we see on, on projects. There are people who are happy to keep doing what they've always done. And then there are those that want to keep... keep like you guys. I, <laughs> I, I, I try and put myself in that, in that bracket. But we just spoke for, what, over an hour? So, yeah, no, listen, we... we, we just seeing the value that it, it, it can bring is, is, is amazing. And, and I remember, so I started off working in HR analytics about 15 years ago, over 15 years ago, I'm, uh, I'm that old. 
<laughs> and, and, and whenever, you know, I used to sort of go, guys, look at all this data, there's so much value, and people would sort of go, no, we just want a headcount report, mate. Yeah. You know, yeah. leave me alone. And, and now, you know, even the HR space, so people are starting to, you know, predict <coughs> who's going to leave their business. People have realised that staff turnover is expensive. Yeah. Uh, and there was an IBM Watson uh, use case where they were able to predict, I think it was with about 70% accuracy, if someone was going to leave your business that year. Yeah. Um, uh, and they could then go, right, how can we retain that talent? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's just really interesting to see how, how, how things have, have shifted. Um, what, how, how we got talking, Sam, is, is also saw, saw one of your videos previously. And, and I, I think you're in a really um, good space that, you know, you focus on data, uh, massive growth potential. And I think you get it as a recruiter. Yeah. So as a, as a candidate or even as a, as a business, you know, I'd want to be talking to somebody who really understands the, the domain. Uh, and I think the fact that, you know, we're even talking now and, and, and you're sort of trying to, you know, really understand that space, um, I think gives you a real, um, gives you a real edge. And, and I think it's, it's great for candidates that they can talk to somebody yeah, you know, thank who, you, yeah. who actually says, yeah, okay, you yeah. guys actually know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I certainly found in the past talking to, to recruiters with my own sort of uh, contract roles and permanent roles that, you know, they don't really understand, you know, what, yeah. what I'm about or yeah. what I do. And, you know, you know whereas actually um, uh, I, I see that you guys are, are really into it. And, you know, nice to find people who, yeah. who get as excited about it as we do. Well, it, it, listen, it comes across massively how passionate you are about data. Yeah. Um, and that's infectious as well. And I, I can only imagine that when you get in front of clients to talk to them about their challenges, that really comes across. So, uh, you know, equally, I think you guys are in a really good space. I think there's a, a real market for somebody that can almost sit in the middle of yeah. these big vendors um, and, and help these organisations where they don't need somebody full-time, they don't need to recruit a team of people just yet, yeah. but they need some help. They need to be able to give them some advice and guidance on setting exactly. in place their foundations, their platforms, what tools work, what, what tools could work for them, and, and steering them in the right direction. Because there's a lot of companies, a lot of organisations, big and small, that really struggle when it comes to you know, their data journey and, and where to start. So I think there's a really good market for you guys, certainly. Absolutely, I think in that mid-market where the, those <coughs> clients can't afford the big four, you yeah. know, and, and, yeah. and their, uh, their high day rates, I think, you know, they're, they're the organizations that, you know, I think can um, really benefit from talking to, to a company like us. Yeah. Um, we can help them on, on their journey and um, can help them to get more, more value from, from their data, hopefully. So, yeah, yeah it's a very exciting time. Good, good. Well, listen, um, hopefully you both have a, a great Christmas and New Year. And so Here's to 2020. And um, really thanks for coming along and spending some time with us here in Manchester. Really do appreciate it. And I hope you got some good value from it. Perfect. Yeah, so it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Sam. Uh, Lovely. Good to see you. Good to see you, David. Thank you. All right. Right. Well,